everybody. My name is Pat Bryan. I'm co-founder and performance director here at Spokes, and you are listening to Bespoke, the cycling and triathlon training podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Mr. Andy Jackson, who has been revolutionizing uh, time trial and triathlon bike fitting for quite a while now. Andy, how are you doing? Hi there, Pav. Very good, thank you. Great to speak to you today, and it's um, yeah, great to catch up and chat about all things bike fit. Absolutely. And uh, how is everything going for you at the moment? Yes, not too bad, thanks. Been a, a busy season, lots of things going on. Had a, an unfortunate accident last weekend whilst racing my goal race, but these things happen, so we'll get back to things and get going soon. Absolutely. A nasty little off in the 24 you had, wasn't it? But uh, obviously doing well to, to recover and we wish you all the best for uh, uh, your next event, which you just said was in, uh, in Borrega at the, the Worlds. And uh, just to go over that. So what's your history in terms of these uh, racing? Because uh, you've, you've got a pretty good personal um, Palmier as well, haven't you? Yeah, thanks for that, Pav. Yes, I've been um, racing for a good 20 years or so. Um, I raced uh, a number of triathlons, six in total, including going to Kona and racing the world champs. And then for the last 10 years or so, I've been racing predominantly time trialing in the UK, which is, for those UK-based people will know, is a a particular um, sport that we spend a lot of time on in the UK, less so in other countries. So as as you said, I've, I've had some pretty decent success in both short and long distance time trialing. I I actually won the UK national 24 hour title last year, uh, which was great thing to do in my first attempt. I got a bronze medal in the UK 12 hour the year before and I've won various other medals in the UK. I've also over in America won the six hour and 12 hour at the world time trial championships and I'm coming back to try and get the full house and win the 24 hour this year, but it's going to be a big ask, but we will see. Well, we wish you all the best, man, because it's uh, that would be a, an epic uh, feat uh, to recover from uh, uh, from a, what was a really nasty get down to uh, to do that. And yeah, for those of you that um, aren't listening in uh, in the UK, uh, one of the things that makes time trialing quite unique in 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 the British Isles is that uh, uh, actually there's a separate governing body that that looks after time trialing. So we do get quite a lot of very interesting. Uh, adaptations to our bikes that you wouldn't normally see in a a UCI or governing or like a British cycling or even I guess a USAC uh, sanctioned race. Now Andy one of those uh, is obviously bike fitting. We could do a lot more with a a CTT, a cycling time trials uh, sanctioned race than we can in a, a British cycling one but for those people who are listening and might not even be into time trial why don't we talk about just why would you need a bike fit? Yeah, no, absolutely, Pav. Thanks for leading in. Yes, for me, a bike fit is an absolute no-brainer. I I always use the analogy, and it's quite a straightforward one. When you go and buy a suit, you buy a nice suit from a a tailor on Savile Row in London, for example, you will always have that suit tailored to fit you perfectly. Yet what amazes me about bikes is that so many of us go and spend $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 on a bike then just put the saddle height to what we think is about right, jump on it, and then people wonder why Why is my back hurting, why are my knees hurting, why am I not getting the power out that I think I'm not enjoying this. Is the bike wrong? And absolutely not. It's because they've not invested a, sm- a small amount of money in reality to what you just spent on the bike, and that time getting the bike fit right is absolutely critical and so often overlooked. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's actually, it's really funny. Obviously, from a coaching perspective, I always say that 
Um, and you'll probably agree as a coach as well that people do overspend, or not necessarily overspend, but they spend a lot of money on equipment and uh, and everything like that. Um, but then question spending a relatively small amount on coaching. And uh, in my book, The Guide to Truly Effective Cycling, one of the things that I'm very honest about in the end, in the section where we talk about um, who to involve if you've got a goal that you you want to achieve and you you look to build a team around you, I actually say that if you're if you're limited on the money that you can spend and you have a choice between seeing a good bike fitter and a good coach I actually recommend getting a bike fit um and I, yeah I just genuinely I genuinely feel um that that's it is overlooked like you say so uh, why don't we talk about the benefits what's what's the key benefits that uh, that, that like a, a, an individual will see from getting a good bike fit yeah okay I mean what I'll do I'll talk quite generally about you know a bike fit in general be it for road ra- racing mountain biking time trial or triathlon you know for from those things, the benefits you will get will be things such as potentially improved power output, improved comfort. One of the things we are, we so often see um, when people come with bike fits are problems in different areas, be it contact points, hands, feet, or um, your the saddle area, to lower and upper back pain, knee pain, feet pain, which is so often due to the way that they're set up in the bike. Related to that as well is injury prevention. Um, We often find that people can get injuries, be it knee injuries, back, hip injuries, muscular injuries from the wrong setup. Then an important point when we come to performance in in triathlon or time trial, for example, is aerodynamics. We'll talk about it in detail, but if I look particularly at the the time trial world, which I do a lot of work in, um, as well as the triathlon world, those those people, the aerodynamics is so important to get that right. The savings to be had are absolutely massive. And I call it free speed because in reality, for a couple of hours work and a few pounds investment, you will gain speed that you will frankly never gain through training alone or spending another $10,000 on some new kits. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with that. If I mean, we we can probably link back to some uh, some evidence and some stuff because I know you've done a lot of a lot of work around just how much you could gain from uh, even certain uh, certain positions or anything like that from from your work with uh, Aero Coach. And uh, um, I, I I I I think what we need to talk about is. For those people that maybe are a bit intimidated, I know that a lot of the testers or for people that don't know what testers are, that's a, someone that specialises in time trial or the triathletes, they're probably uh, they're probably the ones that have been in the, in the sport for a while. They, 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 they know the ins and outs of a bike fit. But for someone that's quite new to, to either discipline, um, a bike fit can actually seem like something that is a little bit daunting, a little bit overwhelming. So why don't you go through just the ins and outs of what a bike fit involves and how the session sort of uh, is organised? Yeah, absolutely. If you're going for a bike fit, the key things you should be getting out of that are clearly a position that you feel more comfortable with, adaptable with and able to ride with. So what a good bike fitter will look at going through with you is a a in-depth process, but walking through from starting with you and talking about, okay, what are your goals? What are your ambitions and how long have you been cycling or, or riding? These are really important for us to understand then how potentially adapted or wedded you are to a position now and therefore how open to change you will be from a mental perspective, which you obviously are because you're there, and also from a physical perspective from muscular ad- adaptation. What, what we would then look to do, I'd then look to work with you and look at your flexibility 
what's important within a bike fit, it's all about the angles that our body takes on the bike and weight distribution. There is a range that we'd look to set you in on that up, up within that. And we need to understand how flexible you are first. So if you are at the lower end of flexibility, that will drive the angles that I set you up on relative to someone who is much more flexible. Then once we get you on the bike, the key thing we'd start to look at then is we look at a real process and you simply look at the contact point. So I look at your feet, look at your cleat setup, which is massively important. I must say 90% of people I see who haven't had their cleats set up before, their cleats are set up wrong. They're either too far back or too far forward or they're misaligned, which is potentially causing them lots of different problems. Then within bike fit, the absolute key area is saddle height. This this affects your power generation, uh, the way that you use your muscles in your legs, the efficiency of your pedal stroke, and also the weight distribution between the front and the back. Often people will complain about a sore back when they're pedaling, be it the bottom of the back or top of the back. What they often won't realize is that's almost always caused by the saddle position. They may be too far back, so they're stretching out and stretching the top of their back. Or they may be too low, and actually there's too much weight on that area versus a weight distribution at the front, which is then giving them lower back pain. These things are massively important. Then finally we move on to the handlebars, and we look at then how, how you're positioned on the handlebars. If it's a road fit, it will be about the position you're riding in, be it on the hoods or the drops. Or in a time trial fit we, or triathlon fit, we'll probably spend a fair bit more time looking at the front-end setup and, and effectively your aerodynamic footprint in the air. The slimmer you are at the front and the lower potentially at the front, the less aerodynamic drag that you'll get. It's an in-depth process. You know, I'll spend anything between two and three hours with a client working through you know, minor minor changes bit by bit in a systematic process to make sure that we get you into a position that's going to be comfortable and you're going to be able to work with. I think, you know, a takeaway for, for new guys coming to it is, you know, don't be intimidated. The fitter that you will, will go to is going to be experienced. They should be able to put you at ease. They should be able to answer your questions, you know, and make you go away feeling so confident. Personally, for me, it's one of the things I find so satisfying when a client goes away and they say wow I felt I've been through a really intuitive and great process and there's someone there who knows what he's doing is a supporter in my corner and as you said Pav a member of your team towards success yeah no I completely agree and it's um that's that's the mark of uh, any good um team member we'll say whether that's a coach or a bike fitter or anything it's uh, it's about working and adapting to meet the client's expectations and mentality so um i think for anybody that is a little worried just bite the bullet and take that leap because uh you'll know you'll know fairly instantly whether um whether or not that you're uh, uh, going to be compatible with this coach and uh, even a quick phone call could uh, could help you sort of alleviate some of that but i just wanted to touch on something that you mentioned there you talked about flexibility now presumably the more flexible you are the better that is from a bike fitting perspective not particularly no not at all if you're not able to bend your legs you can obviously not ride a bike so we're going to struggle with you but from um from a point of view of general flexibility if you've not got massive flexibility that does not mean we cannot get you into a position that's great for you we can look at your saddle height, your handlebar position. We can look at things like crank length, which is really important. That that will then dictate how much hip flexibility there is um, and how much your, your, your quads and hamstrings need to work within 
degrees of extreme, um, which is massively important when we think about triathletes who have to run off a bike, but it is also important for cyclists. If you've got lower flexibility, it may be a point that shorter crank lengths are better because your legs are not put into more extreme positions when you do pedal. Absolutely. So what's your opinion then on people who spend a lot of time maybe built working on their flexibility? Does that increase problems that you might have from a bike fitting perspective, say through doing yoga or, or something like that? I, I would say not. I mean, I, I'd always encourage someone to, you know, work on their overall flexibility, core strength and, and the wider parts of support. I mean, I'll answer this, Pav, to a degree from a personal perspective. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time stretching and doing continued yoga and flexibility and honestly it's something that i've just naturally dropped in the last few years not i don't even know why frankly it's just sort of happened out of my regime and it's not and i've not noticed it negatively affects me necessarily either way but on the other on the other hand that flexibility i believe i'm quite naturally flexible some people aren't and particularly for the triathletes i think that flexibility of for the running muscles and keeping those stretched is helpful towards the cycling. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that probably this comes down to the uh, the, the, the sort of the, the theory that there's no one one answer for everybody i think that there's going to be some people who are going to be very very good and or very flexible and some people that aren't and it's not the end of the world and you don't necessarily need to work it but um it, there's worth seeing somebody and uh, having that fit because it might identify areas where actually if you could be a bit more flexible certain certain places you might be able to get a better fit so um let's talk about how uh, different um how different is a, a time trial or triathlon fit to a road fit? Okay, well, the actual fundamentals of them all are the same, or they should be the same from a from a, a good, highly qualified fitter. In the, the first thing we would look to do is you make sure that the pedaling biomechanics are as correct as possible. So we'll start looking at your cleat position, your saddle position, both fore, aft and height, to put your legs in the right angle. Then, once we start moving to the front end, this is where things get a little bit different. Because on a, on a road bike, we'd start then looking at how you ride predominantly, be it on the drops, be it on the hoods, be it on the tops. And then making sure that your upper body angle and the weight distribution is balanced in that position. And we'll also make, you know, make suggestions about the more aerodynamically way to ride in a road position. But when we come to a TT or tri-fit, what's then import, particularly important about the front end is trying, as I, I mentioned earlier on in the session, trying to lower the front end total surface area because that is going to massively drive our aerodynamic drag, which is a scientific term we call CDA. So we will spend a lot of time looking at how we can get the front end into a potentially narrow and low position um, to do that, I think it's important at this point that I mention what so many people in time trial and triathlon try to do when they actually don't necessarily understand how the, the process works is automatically lower the front end. Oh, that will make me more aerodynamic because I'm lower. But it's not actually the case. I've done a lot of real world testing in velodromes of actual CDA and by far, and this is 
a country mile by far the most important position is a saddle position both from a biomechanics but also from an aerodynamic point of view in the lengthening or the shortening of the torso and the overall shape that it puts your body into and the way that the air flows over that excellent yeah, no, that's some, that's some incredible um, information there. Really, it's uh, it's good to understand the the differences and the key aspects there. And uh, uh, one of the things you mentioned was sort of going to a, a velodrome, and we have obviously centres around the UK where we could do a lot of like uh, uh, wind tunnel testing now. Um, but for people who haven't got that money, because um, uh, it's it's not cheap, um, and even for those who might be thinking that actually I'd I I, I want to try and save some money if my bike fitted. There's there's two areas which have been mentioned to me. Uh, the first is obviously doing a, a bike fit remotely via video, um, because if you open that, you can open up the uh, the possibilities about getting people from uh, that aren't in your area that might be able to do it cheaper to do it cheaper if you could just send a video. Uh, but we could also talk about um, transferring bike fit data from one bike to another. There's two key areas there. What do you think of uh, either of those? Okay, I'm, I'm going to answer the last part first. And the first bit would be a big fat no. <laughs> you can't just go and take the saddle height from one bike and transfer it onto a new bike and then think, oh, it's all fine. One thing a lot of us do, do know is that the bike geometry is different. I'm talking here about the angle of the um, seat tube, for example. So you will find if you... If the geometry is, say, a degree different on the bike, it's tiny. You probably wouldn't even notice it. But then if you set the saddle height at 70 centimetres on one bike and 70 centimetres on another bike, the effective saddle height will be different because that one degree has pushed the saddle on one of the bikes further back and further behind the bottom bracket than on, on another bike. So it's it gets really nuanced and it gets into quite a lot of difficulties if you try to transfer it over and it's it's a very something you need to be very careful with if you try to do that i'll give you a personal example i i rode the same bike for the last three seasons and i um i rode one model one year i bought the exact same model the following year it took me ages to actually transfer it over because the actual dimensions of the model despite the manufacturer telling me they were much the same were very slightly different. It fundamentally affected so many areas of my fit, which took me a while to get right. You know, and it's something just to be really careful with because if you get it wrong, you will then buy your new bike, suddenly transferred it over, and let's say you start getting knee pain or back pain or whatever, and then you'll be blaming your new bike and saying, this new bike's rubbish, this ex-company's bike's a load of you know, rubbish, I don't want to be using this. It's not the bike, it's just the fact that things are different. But it's right. so important to get it done properly. You know, back to my first point. I think the, the secondary part, and and actually, Pav, I'm going to answer this in two parts. You, you mentioned, you know, so could we do something like a video fit? And absolutely. But I think I want to talk. I want to talk briefly about the differences between, say, a let, let's think about four types of fit. Let's think of like a velodrome type session, or, or a wind tunnel session, a velodrome session, a studio fit, and then say a, a remote video fit. You know, I, I would I would say to people that the wind tunnel or velodrome sessions are at the very top end, A, from an expense point of view, and B, from a, a performance benefit point of view, in that the expense is very high and you're going to be paying for limited time. And if you need to be going there and making quite drastic changes, which most people do on their first few fits, 
I would frankly say it's probably something not to think about yet because you will spend more time with an Allen key rather than actually testing the position and you might not get the value out of the session. Whereas if you work in a studio fit, you can spend as much, I'll spend as much time as I need with the clients to get us into something which we know looks good. At that point then, that stage might be, then let's go and validate it later and see if there's small minor changes to make it better could also do then as you talked about is could we look at doing it by by video well you could yes I, I use video capture software as a key part of the way that i analyze the angles and analyze the way a client set up so it could be very possible to do this what would be important would be a video a decent video setup that we could look at you side on and front on and you yourself as a client would need some pretty simple mechanicing tools to sort of follow the instructions that we talk through. But it would definitely be a possible place to start. And it's something that I've done with some of, some of our coach clients um, to get us into an initial start point. Absolutely. I think that that's uh, some really good, valuable information there, Andy. So we're saying that for those people who are um, thinking that they might have quite a, a lot of uh, uh, changes to their bike, definitely see a, a fitter sort of face to face and then progress to the to the aerodrome. But actually, those people who uh, are thinking about possibly being able to save some money remotely might be the way for them. So some, some great, some great little uh, uh, tidbits there. But uh, let's talk about um, systems like we there's a lot of uh, different ones out there now bike fitting systems that is um like retool and uh, uh body geometry and there's a few of those what's the what's the big differences between all of them um i think fundamentally as as systems the differences between them are not actually massive you know that what simply what the systems do is they find clever visual ways of analyzing key angles by taking marker points on the body looking at how they interact and looking at then the angles that are generated for that they will then look at for example how how much your knee floats left and right when you pedal and and, and offer ways for you to correct that so the systems themselves many of them work in much the similar ways one piece of advice i suppose i, I would give as a fitter is don't get caught up in the size of the technology that the the fitter has got just because it's massively expensive technology doesn't necessarily mean that a the fitter is massively experienced at using that but b it can get you the result and i'm going to give you a again a personal example here so i i was trained at you know um one of the best fitting houses in the country a very long and in-depth training course in the uk and we spent a lot of time using one of the you know the high class systems working on aerodynamic fits and we put together a fit that was biomechanically fantastic from a system point of view. But from my experience and the experience of others on the course who there were some similarly experienced um, time trial racers as me on the course, we, we just looked at that and said, that is not a very aerodynamic position just because of the way the, the system had put it into a position. So what, what, what I would do now is I would utilize the technology as a guidance, but then it was important then to overlay my experience on what I know from my own personal racing and what I know from hours spent in wind tunnels and aero testing velodromes on the things that do specifically work. And tying all those things together is really important rather than hanging on the crook of, oh, this system's great because it costs $20,000. That doesn't necessarily mean it will give a good result. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's uh, very common within our industry. We kind of have a lot of really good systems, uh, for even from a coaching perspective, and uh, we can get a lot of really good numbers and everything like that. But actually, it's uh, it's not the numbers are the same as really that almost in some respect, like certain elements of the fit or the, the fitter or the system that you're fitting with, they're not how you're riding your bike. At the end of the day, there's, they're all guidances, guidance systems that come together to, to do that. So I love that. I think that you're, you're right. Yeah. Don't be, don't necessarily be wowed by the most expensive or um, sort of technical uh bike bike fitting system but uh understand that the the fit is only as good as the fitter um and uh and i think that that uh, leads us on to probably our next good question here and that is um what would be wrong with just forgetting forgetting a bike fit and just spending that money on better kit what would what's the difference here what can you what can the normal gains be can you can you really get more from a fit than you can from kit well, Pav, I, I love that question. It's brilliant. I, it's the question I get asked so often. You know, I, I've had a number of, cli- of, of potential clients and actual clients who've rung me up and said, I need a new bike. I'm going to spend this $5,000, $10,000 new bike and then come and see you. Or I'm going to buy this £300 hem- helmet because I know it will work. My first point is stop. Please don't. Let's look at what you are, where you are now and then discuss it. But to answer that question in a bit more detail, I want to give you an example. It's a great example for me, actually, on how much value does kit give. So, I, Pav, you mentioned earlier I had a crash last weekend in the National 24. Unfortunately for me, I also had a crash a few weeks before, which meant that <laughs> I wasn't able to race on the time trial bike in the in the UK National 100 time trial, which was a target of mine. Um, and because I'd hurt my elbow, I couldn't rest on the pads. So I decided just because I felt like a good rider, I was going to ride it on the road bike, see how well I did. And I rode it on the road bike, and the winner, uh, Marsan Blocky, the UK national champion, former professional and record holder of all distances, you know, won the race. He beat me by, you know, 33 minutes. So you look at that and go, wow, what a fantastic athlete, which he no doubt is. I, I came home and I, got, I was thinking then, I was like, I mean, heck, 33 minutes. I thought I'd had a good ride. What's happened? I sort of broke it down in what I know. And I actually realized that he beat me because he's a better athlete. That was only worth three minutes. Everything else was in two things. It was in the kit that he was using, which is your question, and it was a position. But when I then broke that 29 minutes down, out of the 33 that he'd beaten me by that wasn't due to his athletic ability – the vast majority of that, two-thirds of that, was down to his position, despite the fact he was riding a massively superior bike with the best kit and the best of everything money could buy compared to my road bike. The key was about the position. So it's important. You know, We've seen that from Team Sky, now Team Ineos, the way other teams have adapted, the marginal gains of things like ceramic bottom brackets, aerodynamic frames, aerodynamic kit and helmets. Absolutely, they do add benefit, and it's proven benefits, and they are small increments. But the third, if you had to list the things that are important, the position is almost the most important thing to get right in almost any aspect of the race to ensure that you maximize your time and speed in that. Then your physical condition is, of course, massively important. Then you want to be talking about the small additions to add on. But, you know, really simply to answer that, you can't buy speed. 
you simply can't. You have to put the work in, be it the work to see a fitter and generate what I call free speed because it is free speed or, and, sorry, the physical training, which has to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's a, a good takeaway point here is for, for people that have the money, go ahead and go and spend it and, and be free willing. But those that are more of a budget, yeah, just be a bit more uh, smart about how you spend it. And just that is, it, it's incredible. I mean, really, I mean, Marston's an amazing, a phenomenal athlete and well deserving of all of his records. But uh, yeah, when you break it down like that, and you actually suggest that there's a, a, a relative small proportion of that is actually uh, the kit that is uh, he's uh, he's got and everything and uh, uh compared to you so position yeah and then obviously yeah, trading and everything else is 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 fundamental in 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 that in our sport so um let's talk about Pav, obviously, oh, go on. I, I was just going to say Pav, you know it's something that we you will see as a coach and that your vast experience in cycling and also my experience in cycling the amount of people who look for shortcuts and you know there, there aren't many shortcuts. Buying more kit is not really a fantastic shortcut. You know, getting a great fit is most definitely one of the best shortcuts that you can get in the cycling world to help you go faster. Yeah, it's true. And it's really interesting you say that. It's almost like um, uh, buying the gains, buying the speed is almost a little bit addictive for some people. Do you think? It's uh, it's kind of like uh, they, they, the arms race, isn't it? We always talked about the arms race and there's always uh, there's a few people that I know. And obviously I have a lot of respect for them, but uh, it, it's kind of as somebody who's never really been like willing to spend all my money or it, all of the money that I possibly could on, on kit, I've always maybe been a little bit jealous of that but it is it's very interesting how you know some people who who always rock up with all the best kit and everything but but do make and do improve but but probably are improving that small amount because of that kit but it is it's really it's an interesting thing that you bring up andy mm-hmm. yeah um, no that's that's right and um, yeah please go on thank you uh yeah so i just wanted to talk a little bit about um you're obviously a guy that's very holistic in terms of your bike fitted and your and your coaching. What other advice do people get in a fit session? What I'd be looking to do in a fit is, you know, going back to the first point that I talked about, when I start talking with an athlete at the start, I want to understand what their goals are. So I mean their athletic goals, be it they want to complete a 100-mile sportive or they want to race um, – the world championships, whatever that is. I want to first understand the goal so I can then get the fit right, but I can also then offer what other advice I can offer to them on, be it um, things such as bottle placement on a bike. You know, Did you know that having two round bottles on your bike might lose you six watts compared to a fully integrated aero setup on the front between the bars or a very well hidden bottle be behind the saddle you know those things are things that people don't think about um but are six watts wow i'd love to gain six watts from training i can get yeah, it just absolutely. from being sensible water bottles um other things for example you know with, with my experience and <laughs> ironically talking i'm talking about kit here but tire choice you know the rolling resistance of tires there's some massive differences between them some of the best lowest rolling resistance tires might save you anything between five or even 10 or 11 watts over the worst rolling resistance tires. And so you think, okay, so if I buy these tires, I've saved 10 watts, 10 watts might be worth 30 seconds on a 25 mile time trial or an Olympic distance triathlon. 
what, what's that for? You've got to buy tires anyway, so just buy these other ones. So that that knowledge, <laughs> exactly, that, that holistic knowledge I think is important. And also, you know, I, I'll discuss with people pacing as well and talk to them about, you know, thinking about the way they pace some of their key races coming up. I suppose it's not necessarily exactly within the fitting description, but again, as you said, I'm very keen to offer a holistic support service really. Um as well as related to that, advising people on the type of kit. And, you know, I think a final point, and I touched on it earlier, and it's important to mention here is helmets within the time trial or triathlon type of fits, or even a road fit. You know, people will often turn up with helmet X, which we'll look at and it will be okay. I'll carry a big stock of different helmets and we'll try them on people and we'll work out, we'll go, actually, for your position, this helmet works best. And then guess what? It's only 30 quid. Or unfortunately, this helmet works best and it's 400 pounds. But we will, yeah. but, but I would at that point, and, and often I've seen that, I've, I've got some of the more expensive helmets and on some athletes, I've looked at them and said, look, in reality, it's best, but it's pretty, pretty close. So I'm going to say, leave it to you and say, is it worth me spending that 400 pounds to save what could be a few watts or not? And I can't make that call for you. I can just give you the information to make the best decision for you. Yeah, absolutely. And just to come back to your point about, uh, I, I mean, I love that. I think that's fantastic that you have somebody sit on the bike and have given them a fit and then let them try helmets on, I think. But if it was uh, if it was my wife, I can tell you she'd be coming away with the helmets that are worth at least $1,000. <laughs> She's got that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can only imagine that everybody is at those crunch moments where they're like, please be the £30 one, please be the cheaper one. But, yes. but that it, whatever it is, it is at the end of the day, like you say, you don't have to buy the helmet it there and then you can wait and uh, and i think that's an excellent little uh thing to consider that's right and, and you know I, personally i i don't sell helmets i've got absolutely no vested interest in what helmet you buy the, there's no benefit to me i just want to make sure for you in the fit you get the best advice in the best position you can then go away and make the informed decision on what's right for you and I think that's a great point because, I mean, we know there's a lot of bike fitters, especially those in um, in your sort of local bike shop that uh, that are sort of um, also selling uh, kit and they might be a bit limited about what they can offer or advise on. So um, I think that that's a really good take home point for anybody listening, that actually you might be better off just doing a little bit of research about any associated products uh, and anything like that, or go and see somebody who is just totally independent. Um, so I, I love Love that point, Andy. So um, let's just quickly talk about the bike. If somebody wants to, we talked about helmets, obviously, which one should they buy? But what if somebody wants to buy a new bike? What's the things they should consider? Right. I, the, I'm glad you brought this up, Pav. It's something I've, you know, it's been really, um, I've noticed a lot of in the last few weeks. The, the most important um, dimension on a bike for you when you're buying it is a top tube length. And I'll give you an example. So I had a, um, an athlete of mine I coach who came to see me. She's a lady. She's about five foot six tall. Um, she'd bought a small Dolan frame, which obviously would make sense. It was a 52 centimeter small frame. And you'd think, great. And I sort of put it on the jig, started looking at it. And I was like, God, this is a bit weird. Measured it. It's 52 centimeters from the bottom bracket to the, the seat tube, which, which is fine. But then when I measured the top tube, the top tube was 60 centimetres by the, the way that we measure it, which is mm. long. 
For example, I'm six foot one. My top tube is 56 centimetres. So I started looking at this and thinking, wow, this is weird. So we had a very, very big challenge with this bike to get it to fit well for the lady. And frankly, it probably could have been better with a smaller frame, but we had to work with because she'd invested in this bike. So it was a massive takeaway. What you will see on a number of bike sizings is they will quote the, the frame size driven by the seat tube length and disregard that. And the reason I say disregard that is we all know all bikes have a seat post which goes up and down. So you've got as much adjustment as you want in the height by the movable seat post or even a bit of carbon that you cut off to clamp the, the seat on. So seat post height is absolutely irrelevant. Top tube length and what we call stack height, which is effectively the height of the handlebars off the floor, those are the two most important dimensions for you when when looking at a bike. Um, so they're really key. And, and I would really, if you're unsure, I'd really advise you to, you know, get some advice on sizing with, you know, a fitter. I think from a, an absolute directional point of view, the way bike companies now work is they, they try to make a small number of sizes to make them as adjustable for lots of people as possible because it reduces their overheads from having to make lots of sizes, which makes great commercial sense. But having a, in reality, a bike that is on the smaller side is probably better because we can find ways to put a longer stem on, for example, maybe some longer bars, change the seat orientation. But if the bike is too long in the top tube versus your body length we're really scuppered then and it really makes it very difficult to get it right and you might be a point and going this bike's too big for me yeah absolutely i guess it is it's so it's easier to make a uh, a small bike bigger than it is to make a big bike smaller isn't it it kind of uh, uh you you are limited in somewhat there and uh, i think a great point again andy to uh if you're looking at a new bike there's absolutely no harm in uh in speaking to a bike fitter or even uh having having a bike fit before before purchasing just to make sure especially if you're spending sort of the the many many thousands of pounds or dollars that that people do um so i guess yeah uh, to 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 reiterate your point a minute ago about um you know shops a lot and i i I need to balance what i say here because i'm a very very supportive of local bike shops and i think they're the right thing the but is they are um selling certain things so you may go into your local bike shop that just happens to be a giant or specialized dealer and I guarantee that you'll come out of there and they'll tell you a giant or specialised is a perfect fit for you because it's in, the, in their interest. Um, so as you said before, just do the research and make sure you, you, you know, people are going to be very, um, they, they want to push their businesses and make sure they sell. So some independent advice is going to be very beneficial for you to make sure it's exactly right. I'm sure you'll get a good fit on the giant or the specialised I know that from fitting lots of them, but there might be something that's a bit better. So, you know, shop around and do your research. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and we all we all love our um, we love our local bike stores here as well, and we we definitely we we feel the value in supporting those. But uh, absolutely, there's a time and a place to to get more expert advice, and I think that buying a new bike and parting with that much money is definitely uh, definitely one of those. And I can't see anybody being upset with us telling us telling to telling people to do that. But I guess really, as we wrap this up, um, I want one last question and. What are the best areas on a bike or in kit or anywhere to generate savings in time from? 
Okay, so if, if we're talking about a, a, a time trial or triathlon, let's assume that you've got a good fit, okay, from a first point of view. The, the, the first area I talk about looking at, and one of the cheapest areas, is tyres. Back to the point I talked about before. Find the lowest rolling res- re- resistance tyres, ideally with a tubeless setup or latex inner tubes. I'd look at them first. I would then also, the second area would probably be the front wheel, Again, from testing, we know that certain front wheels, their aerodynamic benefit can be anything up to 15 watts more than some of the lower end, just say a standard 30 mil depth wheel. It's massive. Front wheels are so important that you get that right. Um, I'd then probably, from a sort of a financial perspective and also a, a time-saving and watt-saving perspective, think about then Helmet, as we talked about before, which let's assume you've had that done right in your fit. Then then your skin suit or what you're wearing on your body. Some of the aero-cheating skin suits now that have been designed by many, many companies out there, the savings from them versus riding in a, a flappy top and, you know, hairy arms, for example, for the blokes or, um, you know, baggy shorts are massive and are really important to think about. Next area, you'd probably say things would be like, um, socks and shoe coverings, be it long um, wind-cheating um, socks that trick the airflow, and then shoe coverings that cover your buckles and laces, you know, those things all help. Obviously, disc wheels are important. A, a disc wheel is important, but it has it has less benefit than, say, a front wheel, just because simply of where it's positioned on the bike. It's obviously important to make the airflow flow over the back end of the bike well, and a great front and back wheel setup are massively important but it's probably less important than a front wheel and i I think finally you know when you're getting down to the smaller nuances then i talked about things like uh, bottle cage position and that's something that's really worth thinking about and and looking at you can also then look at optimizing your drive chain putting ceramic bearings in larger pulley wheel systems wax chains you know, all of these things, you're you're really at the marginal gains there. You're talking about saving one or two watts. So it's a small amount, and it might cost you $400, $500 if you put a large pulley system on. So it's a, it's a cost-benefit analysis you need to make at that point. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, if you've got the money and nobody's going to judge you or nobody should judge you for that. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a, an analysis to be had. And I guess let's just boil all of this down. Some great, fantastic points there, Andy. What would be your number one thing for people to change outside of bike fitting, forgetting that for a moment? One thing that the listeners could go away now and look at their bike and think about or, or care, anything like that. What would it be that they could save the most time from? I'd say the biggest thing right now would be look at the kit that you're riding or racing in. You know, do some research, and unless you are currently riding the absolute top-end kit, it's likely that you'll be able to find some kit that is flows the wind over you better and um, makes you go faster and saves you watts. Fantastic. So everybody out there, go and have a look at what kit you're riding in your time trial or triathlon, uh, because that's probably going to be the biggest savings while you wait to get an appointment for your bike fitter. Andy, thank you very much, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Actually really enjoyed this. I know our listeners are going to too. And uh, thank you, everybody at home. Make sure you leave us a a nice little review. Make sure you subscribe and uh, go check Andy out as well. uh, And uh, and make sure you uh, book in with him soon. Andy, thank you very much. Thank you, Pav. Thank you.